life is not stopping at all. Right. It's not slowing down. And I can either sit here and wallow or I can get up and do something. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? The presenting sponsor of the Midlife Mixtape podcast is Golden Voice. That's right. I'm working now with Golden Voice to tell you about the concerts that they're bringing to the Bay Area in the hopes you'll get out and check them out. And if not here, then take a look for these performers as they come to venues near you. Golden Voice and Stanford Live present Willie Nelson and Family in concert on Saturday, October 12th at the Frost Amphitheater in Palo Alto. My guest today and I talk a bit about how suffering loss in life reminds us that you don't have forever And that's exactly why a year ago, I went by myself to see Willie Nelson in concert. It was the first time I'd ever gone to see a show alone, but I didn't want to someday regret that I'd never seen Willie play live. And it was a super fun night and so great to hear him perform songs like My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys and On the Road Again. So I encourage you to check out Willie Nelson. His son Lucas is his special guest with his band Promise of the Real, and they're getting tons of buzz of their own. So they'll be live at the Stanford campus on October 12th. For more information, go to frostamphitheater.com. Hi there, everybody. Welcome back to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. I hope you're subscribed wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. This is Nancy Davis Coe, and uh, I'm a few days into being an empty nester, and so far it's mostly been defined by a lack of running the dishwasher or needing to fill the car with gas. My husband and I did go see a great Vampire Weekend concert on Tuesday night, and who did I run into in the lobby of this concert venue with thousands of people but the other ballet carpool mom who also doesn't have to drive on Tuesday nights anymore, so I guess that's how we're going to be filling our free time. We're less than two months away from the publication of my book, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness One Letter of Gratitude at a Time, and I was thrilled that uh, Kirkus Reviews wrote a really lovely review of the book in their October 1st issue, the one that has Margaret Atwood on the cover, so I'm hoping to soak up some of Margaret Atwood's juju through page-to-page osmosis. I hope the book will be a motivational and funny guide for people who want to inject their lives and the lives of the people they love with more gratitude. So if you want to check it out, you can pre-order the Thank You Project online, everywhere, and in bookstores now. Go to davisco.com for more info. That's my last name, davisco, D-A-V-I-S-K-H-O dot com for more information. And also, once you've listened to today's episode, let me know what you think of it. You can email me at dj at midlifemixtape.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Midlife Mixtape. So I hope I'll run into you in those places. Today's guest is urban farmer Natasha Nichols. What started out as a project to grow her own food and feed her family of six has evolved into something with a purpose much bigger than Natasha could have imagined. As the founder of We Sow, We Grow, a Chicago-based community garden and nonprofit organization, she's committed to teaching people how to come together through farming and agriculture. Natasha's been recognized with a Community Champion Award from the American Red Cross and Molina Healthcare. She says that as a black woman who's passionate about urban homesteading, agriculture, travel, and education, everything she does is an act of defying expectation. On her blog, Houseful of Nichols, she talks about all of it, while also documenting her family's domestic and international travel adventures. So let's get down in the dirt with Natasha Nichols. 
Welcome to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast, Natasha Nichols. I'm so glad to have you on today. I'm happy to be here. I send you a virtual hello, a virtual hug, which is probably the kind of hug you prefer the most. I know that's... (laughs) (laughs) Natasha's kind of famous in the blogging world because she's not a hugger and she's not afraid to let you know it. And I appreciate that. I really like somebody who gives me a model for how to very kindly and politely articulate uh, what your limits are. So thank you. I think the the correct phrasing would be, I'm not a casual hugger. It, you know, I, and bloggers hug randomly a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the least of their problems. (laughs) Oh dear. All right. Anyway, Natasha, here's a question for you. What was your first concert and what were the circumstances? My first concert was a, oh, Lettucey and Avery Sunshine concert at the Harold Washington uh, Cultural Center in Chicago. Okay, you're going to have to tell me who that is because I do not know those musicians. Okay, so Lettucey is a very popular singer within the Black community. Uh, She is a classically trained opera singer. Oh, wow. But she does a lot of R&B and her range is ridiculous. How old were you? Oh, God. I was over 30 because I had my twins already. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was my my very first concert. And the circumstances was I had a friend whose friend couldn't make it, and she invited invited me last minute. That's actually how a lot of my opportunities happen. Someone (laughs) else can't fill in. Um, It's the only reason that I've been invited to be a a bridesmaid in weddings. I've never (laughs) been, like, the first choice. (laughs) I've always been the second. So, you know. Oh my God, you, Natasha's coming off the bench. Whatever you need, <laughs> Natasha's there for you. Hey, that's, that's, that's so funny. Not- Tell me about the second musician too. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Avery Sunshine is also under R&B and she has a lot of soulful inspiration. That was my first time hearing her and knowing of her. And then uh, I, I saw her again because uh, the Black McDonald's Operators Association um, hosted a concert with her as well. So it was just, mm-hmm. it, she's just become one of the people that I really love listening to. Well, you know, I always include a music video with the show notes for every episode that we do. So I'll email you after and you can tell me the two favorite performances by those guys. And we'll we'll make those the videos that go with the episode. Okay. Have you gone back to a concert since? Has anyone said, hey, Natalia? Tasha, so-and-so dropped out. Want to go to another show with me? No. You can you can actually buy your own tickets. Did you know that's well, a thing? Well, it was the first concert that I actually had a ticket for me, and it was okay. I wasn't asked last minute. was Bruno Mars, who's one of my favorites. Oh, you love Bruno Mars. I absolutely love that fun-sized man. He's amazing. Um, <laughs> he's he is, such a good dancer. He's, he's and he's so incredibly talented. And a lot of people don't realize how many songs he's actually written um, and how yeah. many he wrote before he became popular. So that was my... That was my next biggest one. Well, I had fun getting ready to talk to you. I went back and looked at a lot of a lot of stuff on your website, uh, which it's housefullofnickels.com. Do you want to do you want to tell people how to find you? Oh, you can find me everywhere outside of my blog under Natasha Nichols. Um, and that's Nichols with an E, N-I-C-H-O-L-E-S. And and my blog covers everything from travel to homesteading in a large city like Chicago and just general thoughts and ramblings that I have um, every now and again. And we're going to talk about all of that. One of the one of the clips, though, that I saw on the blog was when Harry Connick 
came over and babysat your kids. Yes. Well, you went out and had a spa day. Now, <laughs> most of us don't have that experience, Natasha. A lot of times, Harry Connick does not come to my house and surprise me with a spa day. So, and the scream you gave when he, <laughs> when you opened the door to see him there, I think he's probably still having ringing in his ears. So, I, I think I'm, that's all I'm going to say. You guys should go check out her website, which we'll be talking about. Go watch that clip because. Again, Harry Connick came over and babysat Natasha's and four kids so that she could go to a spa day. And he's very easy on the eyes. Very, very easy. <laughs> he's not hard on them, I will say that. All right. So take me back to the moment when you decided to start Houseful of Nickels. What was it that impelled you to start this blog where you talk about all of those different areas? I was heavily pregnant with two babies my third and my fourth child. And like everybody, this pregnancy, uh, which actually happened to be my fifth pregnancy, but uh, Mm. my my third and fourth live births left me feeling like I didn't know what the heck that I I, I was doing. Because obviously when you add another baby in there- When you double the size of your family (laughs) in one fell swoop. Yeah. Mom brain is like tripled. Um, and you think that you don't know what the heck you're, you're, you're going to do, even though you've done it before, right. right? And I went researching and I didn't see anything that resonated with me at all. And I decided to start writing about my experience and I was on Blogger. Uh, so that should let you know how long ago that, that was not tight pad, but Blogger. The olden days of blogging. Yes. Yes. So very old. And I wanted to create a space where people were able to hear me talk, uh, incessantly about my pregnancy without me having to see their eye rolls or hear their guests <laughs> because they were annoyed. You had been looking for a voice that spoke to being a twin mom and specifically an African-American twin mom, right? And then you became that right. voice. Right. I don't want to like name drop sites. The sites were helpful, um, but there were, there were never, there was never ever anybody who looked or, or had my background. Mm-hmm. So typically they, they were on their, their second set of twins. Um, so they knew this already, or they were older, which is, you know, no, no shade at all, but a little bit more settled than I, than I was. At, and at you are quite young, even now, even now, nine years later, you were, you must've been 30. So you were 30 was, when you started that because you're still not 40, but you're knocking on its yeah, door. So I am excitedly too. I'm, I'm excited to turn 40. I just felt like nobody had any uh, insight. And I mean, nine years out, I know that there were people who had insight. They just didn't SEO there. <laughs> To put it bluntly, they didn't SEO their stuff. Properly. That was their problem. By the way, to non-bloggers, that's search engine optimized. That means making yourself easy to find. Sorry, that was a little bit inside baseball. (laughs) Correct. And now I realize I go back and look at stuff and the writing is blunt, but it's horrible. The photos are horrible, but it was who I was at that time. So I I don't want to erase any of it because... In the 39 years that I've lived now, I'm starting to realize that erasing certain parts of things and getting rid of those things cuts off a specific part of my life. And I've had a pretty rough and tumble uh, past 20 years. So I tend to hold on to a lot of a lot of things that, that other people don't. I think that's such a wise way to look at it because a lot of us feel so paralyzed about starting new things because we're afraid we're going to be terrible at, at those things in the beginning. And yes, here's the, here's the secret. You probably are, but you'll get better and you won't get better. And I've, I've told this story on the podcast before, how many times 
I retaped episode one like 8,000 times. And finally, my dear friend, our dear friend, Ann Immig, was like, no, you get one more go and then you hit publish and that's it. And then I look back at all my early episodes. I'm up to 63 now. I've learned a lot. I would things would be different in those episodes if I was recording them now, but I wouldn't know that stuff now. So you know, I'm glad you recognize it for what it is. It's just kind of um, what's this? Somebody oh, I used this term the other day. Gosh, I got to think who told me this. They said it's compost. You know, it's all compost for what you're doing now. Oh, and you know that I love that analogy. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get to that part of the interview. Um, but look, before we switch over to composting questions, can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the house full of nickels, you know, as a platform, as a media company? Oh gosh, we're, we're kind of everywhere. And I, I still don't have that perfect aesthetic at all because my, my life is not a perfect aesthetic. I share a lot of times in the moment and a lot of times those hit uh, heavily with, with my, with my audience. So we, we do quite a bit of video, um, especially from the farm, the urban farm. And we also talk a lot about real life things. Uh, I, I've, I've spoken about depression. I've spoken about, um, loss. I've spoken about sex and relationships with my, with my husband. And I, I think any other person would be like, Ooh, is this really a good idea? <laughs> is this really a good idea? But in my head, I'm saying, I wish that I had this at a certain point. So we're going to go ahead right. and talk about it. And we're going to do it still by being respectful to my husband and my family. So if my kids or my parents or my grandmother happen to watch, it's not something like, oh, my God, she's talking about what positions they use. No, uh, that's never, ever the case. It's just one of those things where before I got married, this is what I wish that that someone actually sat down and talked about. Right. I went to this event a couple of weeks ago with an author here uh, in Piedmont, which is a neighborhood next door to Oakland. And it was a group of women. It was a you know a private event at somebody's house, and there was a dinner. And the author was Jen Pasteloff, and I'm going to give her a big shout out because she was delightful. I have not yet read the book on being human, but based on the reaction of the 30 women in the room who had read it and had traveled from as far away as Vancouver to be in the living room with her while she talked about it, it's it sounds like it's an amazing book, and I will um, I will talk about it in a future episode. I may have her on in a future episode, but anyway. The point is that these women, everybody got up and introduced themselves and immediately sort of said, here's the, here's why this book about truth and authenticity and connection is meaningful to me. And they were sharing these really deep things, you know, people who had medical problems, people who had suffered loss, people who were about to go through a divorce. And I was looking around thinking, gosh, when people share their stories about hardship or trouble or anything there's such a high potential that someone else in the room is going to be like, I feel the same way. And I didn't, I thought I was by myself. I thought I was alone. So I really applaud you for the authenticity that you bring when, in your writing and in, and in all of your content creation and the House Full of Nickel stuff, because you don't even know who you're helping. Thank you. You don't even know, Natasha. <laughs> now I want to turn back to composting. This is, I'm so excited about this whole initiative. It's you with your husband who, is he your eighth grade sweetheart? Is that? Am I he you? is. You are. Did you meet him on the playground? What's up? <laughs> no, we did not go to school together. We actually met. We met at church. Uh, he will tell you that I pursued him. That is not the truth. Um, mm, I'm at not. All. Mm, I'm, I, I, I might be team your husband on this one. Cause... I did not. I was very. <laughs> um, my my parents were super strict. 
So mm. uh, there was no pursuing boys at all. Um, <laughs> Did you pursue them at least with your glances, with your eyes? Hey, just quietly pursuing you from the pew over here. <laughs> the way our church was made up, he would stand in a door and look up. We would sit in the balcony and he would look up at me. Um, and yes, <laughs> yes, I would I would steal glances and everything. That's very dear. Yes, he was the first to speak. So the whole pursuing came came about with him. Yeah. All right, you've you've turned me around. I'm on your side. Yep. All right, so to, together with your husband, you've started an initiative called We Sow, We Grow. So let's start off with talking about what the We Sow, We Grow is and when it started, and I'd really like to know why it started. Well, We Sow, We Grow is a gardening initiative where we uh, run a physical farm while also supporting folks online who want to be able to grow their own food, but do not live within our community. And this isn't an urban, I mean, this is urban farming. This is, it is. We, the neighborhood that we decided to move into had quite a few open lots and they were ugly to me. So I asked local leadership if we could transform one of the lots into a community garden. So it started out as a community garden, but then the community realized that it was actually work. (laughs) (laughs) So They were okay with purchasing, not necessarily with giving up a Saturday or days during the week. And it's evolved from a community garden to an urban farm. And now more people volunteer that now that it's an urban farm, um, they're not they're not signing anything away. What's the difference between a community garden and an urban farm? So a community garden, people are assigned a plot of land or a raised bed, and they have to take care of that so that it does not look ugly. So they're responsible for the growing and the weeding and the, you know, everything. Um, Whereas with the urban farm, we're kind of responsible for it. Uh, They can come over and volunteer in exchange for either crops or purchasing of things like eggs at a lower a lower rate. We found that we get more volunteers that way than we did with actually forming a community garden. And it sounds like part of the incentive for you to do this was building community. Yes, because I came from a neighborhood where we knew everybody on the block and we spoke to everybody on the block and sometimes had dinner, you know, with people on the block and if mm-hmm. our parents were late, their children could come to our house and vice versa and we didn't have that because we were the new people and you know, we live in a society where people kind of mind their own business now. Um, right. And they don't care what happens next door just as long as it doesn't tumble over into their backyard. And we, mm-hmm. we wanted to stop that. Uh, so once we started developing the, the farm, people started talking to us. They would stop walking or they would stop on their bikes and ask, what are you doing? And that started the conversation. And now we have people who look out for, you know, the farm um, if we happen to be gone. And, you know, we have a couple more people who have purchased chickens <laughs> because they, they saw that we had them. And uh, lots of folks thought that our chickens would be getting out. But, you know, um, so I get phone calls or text messages. Hey, Mrs. Nichols, your chickens are out. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty positive they're not mine. But thank you very much for the heads up. Or, hey, there's somebody in the on the farm right now. They look like they might be, you know, getting ready to to help themselves to something. Do you want me to go out and let them know the policy? So we're, we're getting a lot more of that instead of, you know, just us out by ourselves every, every weekend. Just rolling up on the bike and asking you yeah. questions. Yeah. So yeah. what do you, what do you grow? What do you raise there? Ooh, the better question is what we don't. <laughs> we, we do not have fruit yet. 
Uh, and the only reason we mm-hmm. don't grow strawberries is because they are kind of invasive and you, you have to control those a little bit better. And right. we, we kind of like the wild rugged, but lots of tomatoes, you know, in varieties that folks have never, ever heard of before. Mm-hmm. And the normal cucumbers, cabbage, spinach, greens, watermelons, honeydew, cantaloupe, corn, which a lot of people are surprised to see in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But they don't remember that Illinois is the second highest corn producer in the nation. So hmm. our our land is perfect for it. And uh, yeah. So I, I was thinking about this this morning because I live in Oakland and there are sections of my city that are food deserts mm-hmm. and where it's really challenging for families to get fresh fruit and vegetables. And I wondered to what extent that was an incentive and you know how and what are your policies for for distributing from the farm uh policies we we actually sell what we grow and we sell it at a much lower rate than you would get at a grocery store mostly because we're not attempting to make a profit from it we just need to pay our water bill if we have to use water and cover mm-hmm. seed and soil purchasing and dirt is expensive people don't know that either it's very very expensive I did not know that. It is. It's a. It's a lot for stuff that your parents told you to not play in. Um, <laughs> our community does qualify as a food desert because our closest grocery store is a little bit more than a mile away. It's still walkable, but it's still more than a mile mm. away. And mm-hmm. they've closed quite a few grocery stores in in our area. And you know there are huge lots that I have dreams of like farmer's markets and everything on. We have access, but it's very hard if you don't have a car. Right. You know, there's there's no loss for convenience stores and things like that. And our convenience stores try to serve what they say are, are fresh fruits and vegetables, but they're not. Well, there's there's nothing like having a tomato that just got picked off the vine in terms of nutrients and Correct. deliciousness. So... I'm sure that makes a big difference in your neighborhood. Yes, it does. And people like to come through and ask questions about how to grow their own. So we do have two neighbors now who were not growing vegetables at all when they first moved in, mm-hmm. came and helped mm-hmm. um, and saw the evolution of the of the farm. And now their backyards look like tiny greenhouses as well. So that must make you feel great. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice to see. It makes my little urban farmer heart happy. <laughs> Speaking of your urban farmer heart, I heard you're getting it certified. Um, you're I, pursuing a master of urban farming certification. Uh, cert, cert, I can't use words. Certification. What's that about? I'm officially a master <gasps> urban farmer. Oh, yes. That's so exciting. <laughs> So what do you what do you have to do to get a to get that certification? There, I don't even know how many hours we had to go to school. This summer is a blur. It started late spring, and we had to attend class every week for like four hours. Anybody who's been out of school for a long amount of time, um, and who already suffers with a very very horrible attention span, knows that sitting down for four hours and having information right. shared with you, even if it's something you love, is quite difficult. That took a lot of of focus for me and a lot of determination. But what it means is I am now certified growing food in an urban setting and the business practices that uh, come along with it. And I actually also qualify as a master gardener. So master gardeners typically know how to identify pests and weeds and things that may be wrong with the soil or your growing medium. 
um, and help and help you figure that out. Do you think there's anything particular about being in the middle phase of life that has made it easier for you to build We Sow, We Grow, to take on the challenge of getting that urban farming certification? What is it about being kind of not, not wet behind the ears anymore that's helped make it easier for you to achieve your goals? Uh, my answer is a little bit morbid. I've had I've had two siblings pass away. And the first one passed away when I was about to turn 22. And my second passed away June of this year. And the death of my sister, who was the first uh, sibling to, to die, really let me know that life is just fleeting. And kids often think that you have until you're 90 to do everything that you want to do. And right. her dying let me know that that was not the case at all. Uh, and, you know, my brothers, I have two brothers. Um, there were four of us. So it was the two brothers and myself left. And we promised to love and live on purpose when she died. And I thought that I was doing it right, but it happened. It so happened that my brother who died was doing it better than any of us. <laughs> he, was, he was doing it better than any of us. Um, I never met your brother, but the tributes you wrote about him all summer, the, what I learned about Daniel it made it, I could see why you would say that. He sounded like a really wonderful guy. Yeah. And he, he hated family not getting along at all. I, mm-hmm. I am still, I can take it or leave it because it, it boundaries again. Right. Uh, right. But when he got behind something, he got behind it fully. And it, it may have even been to a fault, but he never apologized for it. And when I brought up We So We Grow, he was probably my second largest cheerleader after my husband. Uh, and wow. he, he made sure to let me know, hey, uh, I haven't seen any, any fundraising you know, status messages <laughs> from you. Hey, you know, what are you doing? Let me know what you're doing with the farm, because if nobody knows then nobody knows, you know, and you can't complain. Right. You can't complain if nobody knows. So it was that was a nice uh, inspiration. And then when you partner that with me not caring how I appear to people um, and not getting yeah, embarrassed. Yeah you know, too easily with stuff. You're kind of painting yourself as a, I, I mean, let me just assure everybody who's listening. She's lovely. Like <laughs> Natasha's really nice. She's, you make it sound like you run up and punch people in the face. No, no, no. I, mean, I mean, my, my appearance as, as in I'm doing too much or, or ah, okay. um, I'm flighty or, you know what I mean? Where people yeah. get embarrassed if, if they feel that other people are judging them. And okay. in Chicago, I will say, with as many people who are black who farm in Chicago, it's still one of those things like, oh, my God, you grow your own food. You know, you kind of typically when people say that I do put on a smile and I will say, yeah, I mean, it's not uh, un- unheard of uh, to grow your own food. And it's, well, why don't you just go to the grocery store? And this is what I love. And I, you know, I love the canning and preserving and the homesteading. And if I could have a dairy cow, I would totally have a dairy cow. <laughs> Because um, I would love to have fresh milk and cream and all of that other stuff. After Mrs. O'Leary's cow, I'm sure that's a very touchy subject in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I keep uh, threatening to have the greater Chicago fire. Um, Don't try to one-up me. <laughs> one of these days. Uh, but that, that's what I mean about not not worrying too much about how I appear to people. Um, because if I let people's thoughts of me control my space, I would have stopped doing things a very, very long time ago. And that just gets easier and easier to let go of as you get older. I think we all 
recognize that. So, and and I think the more tragedies you have in yeah. life, you 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 get you get to the point where you're like, listen, life is not stopping at all. Right. It's not slowing down, and I can either sit here and wallow, or I can get up and do something. And while I'm at it, you can also wallow and do something. So there were there were lots of times during the summer after the death of my brother where. I'm pretty sure people were super confused driving past or walking past or biking past because I would put headphones on and I would just sob and weed or sob and, and, you know, harvest. Or I think at one point in time, I stood in the middle of the farm and screamed out really loud. I am so angry with you, Daniel. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were people walking. I know it. And I didn't care because at that moment, that's, that's what I needed to get out. So I'm hoping that more people start learning to live who they are while also knowing, you know, what's appropriate. (laughs) I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to get away with that in church. Right. But, you know. Yeah. But I do, I do think as we get older, remembering that you exactly, as you say it, you can move forward and still feel sorry. You can feel conflicting things and, you know, life's not black and white and there's so much gray. And I think we just have to kind of honor the sadness when we feel it. I, I actually, in in writing my book, I talked to um, my a sociologist friend of mine, Christine Carter, who talked about the fact that you can't selectively numb your emotions. So I was asking her, are there people out there who don't feel gratitude? Like, what are, is there anybody for whom writing thank you letters wouldn't work? And she said, it's not that there are people who are ungrateful. It's people who have locked down emotions completely. And you can't, you know, lock down anger, fear, sadness without, unfortunately, also cutting off all the good emotions. And so, you know, feeling comfortable with letting that kind of stuff out and screaming what you need to in the middle of your farm, you know, I think it's a really healthy way to, to move through the grief and to keep honoring his cheerleading of your effort and, you know, moving ahead. Yes. And, and the two siblings that have passed away are the ones who would probably sit on the, on the farm with me and scream and yell mm-hmm. just to make me feel better too. They, they would do it with me. The sibling I'm left with, I love him dearly. Uh, he is, he is much quieter and still very blunt, which is hilarious, but way quieter and way more prone to holding things close to his heart. Whereas I'm just like, forget this crap. <laughs> I, I need you to know that today is a, a, a not a good day. So I, I don't want you trying too hard uh, to make me happy because what will happen is the opposite effect. And then our friendship right. might be gone. So just, you know, leave me, leave me alone. And he will just not answer. Well, we're both the same way, not answer phones or text messages or whatever um, until until we're ready. I know with grief, a lot of people are uncomfortable when when other people are grieving. So right. they, they want to get back to a space where they are comfortable. And, you know, seeing you sad or crying or angry makes them so very uncomfortable that they try to do or say whatever needs to be done or say it to get you back to where, you know, it's all happy days. And I want people to stop doing that. Stop doing that. You know, stop trying to make people grieve in a way that makes you comfortable. Let them grieve in a way that allows them to get it out. There's a really good book on this topic. It's called There's No Good Card for That. And it's by Kelsey Crow. And I had her on the podcast pretty early on. I'll, I'll leave a link to that episode in the show notes here. But that's, that's what this her whole book is about is 
respecting the way that people move through grief and finding a way to be helpful and supportive to them that doesn't make you uncomfortable or at least draws on your strengths because she kind of acknowledges that exactly what you've said. Like it's a, it's a hard needle to thread, but people need that support. And there's so many good ways to do it. And one of the, I just, I always think of this example. She says, you know, if you have a neighbor who suffered loss, maybe you move their car for them when the city's coming through to tow at different times. Like you just make an arrangement with them. I'm going to be the one to move your car. So you don't have to worry about switching sides of the streets, just little things like that, that are practical and really helpful and give them the space they need. But it's not, you know, you don't have to bring a casserole. You don't have to come to the funeral if that's uncomfortable. You know, there's lots of ways you can help someone who's going through grief. So I think it's probably really helpful to the people around you that you're so clear about what you need on a given day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's easier than guessing. It is. I also want people who are grieving to know there is no set time limit. Like I said, my sister died in 2002. And the beginning of this year was where I was just starting to get used to her not being around. Then my brother went and died on me. And now now I'm angry with both of them all over again. So I also deal with grief in a probably inappropriate way to most people. Oh. Like, <laughs> I mean I blame I blame you know. things. I blame things on, on people who are not able to speak up for themselves. Oh wait, you mean you're you mean you're human? Oh, I I understand now. Well, in honor of in honor of Daniel in particular, I want to just make sure we we get this. Out. How can people support the goals of We So We Grow? I know you're always looking for a little help in getting seeds and getting tools. Where should people go if they'd like to support the work you're doing in the South Side of Chicago? We So We Grow dot org, and they can go there and press the donation button. It goes directly to to us. There are no fees taken away at all. Um, nobody's taking anything out of the to- off the top before it comes to us at all. If you live in Chicago or are visiting and you want to volunteer or come through and tour, you're more than welcome to reach out to us and we can schedule that if we are around. Facebook page, right? We do have a Facebook page. We also have Twitter and Instagram. So you can you can see what we're doing and that's all under We Sew and So is S-O-W, not S-E-W for some reason. People <laughs> like to put that in. Um, S-O-W, We Grow. And we also have t-shirts and that information can be found on our Facebook page. And our t-shirts say that you are dirty by nature. So um, (laughs) we we like to keep a musical theme going there um, because we're often, you know, listening to music while we're on the farm. So that's awesome. I'll leave links to all of that stuff on the show notes page. And I have one final question for you, Natasha. What one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you? Or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? I would tell myself, oh my gosh, that everything's going to be okay. Um, and I, I may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because flip and love that I am a, a, a unique, a unique being. And, uh, I think I catch a lot of people off guard and, you know, uh, just like coffee, coffee has a, the tendency to do that. So mm-hmm. that's what I would tell myself. It, it, you are totally okay being who you are. Do not change for anybody. I will tell people younger than me, listen and observe a lot more than you talk because you know absolutely nothing, nothing. All right. That's great advice. Natasha Nichols, thank you so much for coming on to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. It was a delight talking with you. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. All right. I'll talk to you soon. 
I'm actually really glad we talked a little bit about grief with Natasha today. And for any of you who are listening, who are going through loss, as so many of us are or will at this age, I just want to send out a virtual hug of solidarity and witness of what you're having to bear. But not a casual hug, you know, because not everybody likes that. Natasha doesn't. I think that's clear. And if you're listening and know someone who needs company while they scream in the garden, maybe you could go over and stand with them while they do that so they don't feel so alone. We didn't even get a chance in this interview to touch on the travel writing and photography that Natasha does. And right after I interviewed her, she was off to Morocco. Um, You guys have to go follow her on Instagram at Natasha Nichols. Uh, Amazing photography of Morocco. It feels like you're there with her. So I encourage you to check out her sites. uh, And I'll leave links to everything in the show notes. And other than that, I'm wishing you guys a great week. And I'll catch you next time. I wanna be, I wanna be free 